you've uh, already d figured it out. Uh, if not, uh, on Sunday mornings, I preach a series of sermons, and uh, I try to really break down the scripture and get all the the juice out of it. <laughs> and uh, so we'll be doing that on Sunday mornings. So we've got two more installments on the, the Lordship Lessons message. And I hope you'll invite folks to come and uh, experience that. And on Sunday night, I, uh, I kind of just uh, pray and get the Lord's mind on this. Tonight we're going to to look at the, the idea of spirit-filled praying. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read uh, verses 18 through uh, 24. Verses 18 through 24. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Notice the, the S is capitalized. It's talking about the Spirit of God. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. My affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all these things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let me conclude by reading to you from the little book of Jude. There's only one chapter, so you can't get lost there. Chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. He is, uh, of course, grew up in the same home that Christ uh, grew up in. No doubt Jude was uh, one of the younger children. And... Uh, he's writing this in uh, well, 30 or 40 years probably after, after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. He's talking about all of the challenges of the church and the false teachers and the tragedy of false doctrine and the lifestyles of the world. And then he turns his attention to the church in the last few verses, and he gives some admonitions, and this is one of them. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. When you look at the book of Ephesians, the book is... Uh, best understood when it's divided into three sections. Chapters 1 and chapters 2 uh, 
emphasize our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. And Watchman Nee, a great uh, uh, prophet of God and uh, missionary evangelist of uh, another generation, uh, wrote a book called Sit, Sit, Walk, and Stand. And those are the three postures of faith that are mentioned in the book of Ephesians. And it's a powerful way to look at the book and to understand it. Chapters 1 and chapters 2 is our position in Christ. We, in him, in whom, for whom, with him, by him. Those are terms that are used over and over again. In the first chapter, about 13 times, Paul emphasizes in Christ, in him, by him. And then in chapter 2, we're told that we are made to sit with him in heavenly places. And uh, it is talking about our position in Christ, our salvation. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by who we know. We're saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. And as long as our faith and confidence is in that finished work, we are saved. That's what Paul is emphasizing there, to, to rest in the finished work of Christ, chapters 1 and 2, sit. And then chapters 3, 4, and 5, he uses the word walk. Walk in love, walk in light, walk as dear children of God, uh, walk circumspectly or cautiously or carefully. He says, walk not as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their own flesh. Uh, he talks about uh, walking in the spirit and uh, the word walk intimates or gives us the idea of our performance, how we live out our lives. And so chapters 1 and 2 is our position in Christ, our salvation. Chapters 3, 4, and 5 is really our sanctification. It is talking about how we live our life out for Jesus Christ. And then the sixth chapter, and that's where we really are going to come to tonight in the beginning of this message, is we talk about spiritual warfare. Sit, walk, and stand. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And He tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And He says, when you do that, stand. When having done all to stand, stand therefore. And so He gives us our spiritual posture of standing against the wiles of the devil. And what a powerful, powerful book, the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians is to the church. It teaches us how to rest in our position in Christ, our salvation. He teaches us how to live our life in this world, sanctification. And then he teaches us how to overcome our enemy in spiritual warfare, standing in the power of the armor of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God. Satan is the arch enemy of God, and he's also the arch enemy of the people of God. His desire is to kill, steal, and to destroy, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Using what the Bible calls wiles, W-I-L-E-S, in verse 11, 
it speaks of deceit and diabolical schemes that the enemy wants to use to deceive us. James 1.14 reminds us every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. The words drawn away are taken from the world of hunting and fishing where the hunter and the fisherman use various means to lure their prey from a place of safety. The word enticed means to catch by the use of a bait. Satan is like a master hunter, a master fisherman. He sets his traps, he baits his hooks, and he lies in wait to capture and to destroy those unsuspecting Christians. That's why the Bible tells us we need to be sober, we need to be at ourselves mentally, we need to be sharp and be able to notice things around us, and we need to be vigilant. We need to be able to see spiritually those things that the enemy is trying to do in and around us. We do not have to become victims to Satan's traps and devices. You remember Flip Wilson, some of you that are old enough. Flip Wilson was a, a comic back in the uh, 60s and 70s, and he portrayed a character, and uh, he'd dress up like a woman, and he would, uh, uh, he would always say, the devil made me do it. And everybody laughed. Well, I've just got news for you. The devil didn't make you do it. He doesn't make any of us do it. All he can do is lie to us. And it's up to you and I to decide whether to follow that lie or reject that lie. We do not have to become victims of Satan's traps and Satan's devices. God has equipped us with everything we need to stand against the devil and his spiritual attacks. If we use the means that God has given us, the authority and the power of God's word, his spirit, the blood of Jesus, and all the spiritual implementations that he has given us in the armor, I'm telling you, we can overcome in the name of Jesus. I want us tonight to uh, look real quickly at the concept of prayer. We're going to look also at the content of prayer and then the context of prayer the concept of prayer from the passage of scripture that we have read Paul is interested in us becoming people of spirit prayers it is about how we are to utilize the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. And it is given to us in the context of what he has just said in the verses previous to verse 18. Spiritual warfare. Part of spiritual warfare, part of overcoming the enemy, is to pray in the Spirit. The dictionary defines prayer as a request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God. It can also be a general request made to God. So if we take the definition, prayer is simply talking to God. But there are different means by which we talk to God. We can define prayer as the breath of a redeemed soul. <clears throat> Exhaling its needs and its worship toward God. The idea of prayer being the breath of the soul was in the reformer Martin Luther's mind when he said 
this is his quote, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. You can't maintain your relationship with God unless you pray. Mahatma Gandhi said, who, and Mahatma Gandhi, of course, was not a Christian. He was rather a Hindu and he prayed to many gods. But he said this about the idea of prayer. Prayer is not asking, it is longing. It is the longing of the soul. It is daily admission of one's weakness. It is better to pray to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Did you hear that? It is better in prayer to have a heart without words than words without a heart. While Gandhi was wrong about the many gods that he prayed to and the way that he worshipped, he was right about prayer. God looks on the heart. Thus, any time we turn our attention toward God and we begin to speak to Him, we are praying. Our prayer can take many forms. We pray in private and we pray in public. We pray in loud voices, other times with whispers. Sometimes we pray in silence. We set aside times for prayer and at other times prayer is a spontaneous occurrence. We pray in all types of positions and postures. We sit, we stand, we kneel, we lie down. We pray when we walk, we pray when we drive, we pray when we're at rest. We pray at home, we pray at church, we pray at work, or we pray on vacation or at leisure times. We pray with our hands up, our heads down, or with our heads down and our hands up. We pray with our eyes open, or we pray with our eyes closed. The Bible talks about so many different forms of prayer, places of prayer, postures of prayer, circumstances of prayer. Yet the Bible does not exalt any form above another. Not one form, place, posture, or circumstance is preferred above another. Jesus simply said, men always ought to pray and not give up. We can pray anywhere, at any time, about anything, and in any posture. That is what prayer is, and that's what this passage tells us to do. Pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray always. The word always carries the idea at all times, in all seasons, at every opportunity. It does not mean that we go around praying in some kind of spiritual trance, and we don't uh, involve ourselves in any of the other uh, vocations of life. The Jews in Paul's day had several set times per day when they prayed. The Muslims in our day have five specific times for prayer every day. Christianity also has a specific set time for prayer. Our time is always. Everybody say always. The Bible speaks of this in different places. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing Instant in prayer, Romans 12 and 12. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, Colossians 4, 2. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing. There is no time when we do not need to pray. There is no time when we cannot pray. There is no time when God will not be listening as we pray. To pray always does not mean that we walk around in an attitude of formal prayer. Neither Jesus nor his disciples ever did that, nor did they example that. To pray always does not mean that we follow ritualistic prayers that are recited manually from books. 
To pray always does not mean that we count beads or repeat memorized prayers and prayer phrases. That is what the pagans do. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 7, Jesus talks about that. To pray always does mean that we live in a constant awareness of God and His presence. To pray always does mean that the soul is ever reaching upward toward God. To pray always does mean that we see everything and every circumstance and every experience as a kind of prayer to God. When we are tempted, we call on Him, we ask for His help, and God in His love and God in His mercy responds to us. Hallelujah. Call upon me and I will answer you, is what God tells us. When we see sin and wickedness, we call on Him to work in the situation to make it right and to work those things out for the glory of God. When we see something beautiful, we give thanks to God. When we enter a time of trouble, we look to God for help and deliverance. When we weep, we lean on God for His support. When we are happy, we lift our hearts to God in thanksgiving. When we meet a lost sinner, we ask the Lord to convict them and save them. We also ask for His help to witness to them. When life is lived in that way, it becomes an ever-ascending prayer to the Lord. There will be times when we get alone to pray to God personally and individually. Most of the time, however, our lives should be a continual exhalation of the soul breathing out its love for God and its dependence upon God. As we go, we pray. Everybody say that. As we go, we pray. That is the idea behind the phrase. Watching thereunto with all perseverance, praying always. There will be times when we... we uh, are busy with the things of life. But while we're mowing that yard, we can whisper a prayer. While we're carrying that two before, nailing that nail, or when we're ministering in whatever job it is that we are doing, we can always have an attitude of prayer. God honors the always prayers. He honors the watchful, persevering prayers of His people. Let me conclude tonight by just mentioning two parables here. Jesus addressed this idea of praying. In Luke chapter 11, verse 9, we are told, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Do you remember what Jesus said those words on the heels of? He told a parable. A story, one that has a heavenly meaning but is expressed in earthly terms. And he tells about a persistent man who continued asking for bread from his neighbor <laughs> in the middle of the night. The man would respond to the knock on the door. I've put my children to bed. We are asleep. We can't rise and give you bread. I told you, we're asleep. Go away. Leave us alone. We're not going to get up and bring you the bread. And the man just kept knocking. Do you see what God is teaching? Do you see what Jesus is trying to express to us? The idea of an always prayer. The idea of a continual prayer. The idea of a persevering prayer. 
The Bible says that when this man continued to knock, it wearied the man in his home, and he finally arose and gave the man what he asked for. And that's when Jesus said, If you ask, it shall be given. If you seek, you shall find. If you knock, it shall be opened unto you. The word ask is the Greek word a tale. And a tale means to beg, like someone on the roadside crying out to someone passing by as a beggar. And then you move to the next word, seek. And it's, uh, it's uh, the word uh, uh, seteo. And seteo has the idea of asking to, to, to looking for something, seeking something that was yours that you've lost. And you have a right to have it, but you can't find it. So you just keep looking for it. It's a tale. But then you come to the third word, and it's the most elevated concept of prayer in the Bible. And it's the idea of knocking. And it's the Greek word kranos. You have a tale, a tale, and kranos. And kranos is the most elevated aspect of prayer. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. And the idea of knocking is that you have a right to be inside the room. You have a right to go into the building. You have a right to be there. And the Bible tells us, seeing then that we have such a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God, who is passed into the heavens. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was tempted like as we are in all points, yet without sin. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, I'm telling you, Jesus uh, wants us to knock and to understand that we have a right to enter in. Uh, We don't have to hold our heads down. We can hold our heads up high and say, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I thank you that you are hearing me and giving me that which I need. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. In the second parable, Jesus spoke about a widow who was petitioning a judge about her need. And, and this is literally the emotion that is uh, conjured and thought of as you read that parable in Luke chapter 18. She continued to aggravate the judge until he gave in and granted her request. Just kept on asking. Just kept on seeking. Just kept on knocking. And finally the judge was so wearied with her perseverance that he knew she had more grace than he did. And so he gave her what she asked for. And then Jesus says this at the end of that parable. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, just like this judge, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. 
What Jesus is saying there, just like the woman who aggravated that judge had just kept on asking, if we'll just keep on talking to God, it, it may not be in our time, it may not be just when we think we ought to get it, but I'm telling you, if we keep on praying always, God will answer the phone one day, God will respond to our cry, there will come an answer from heaven, and God will show us His power and His might. John says this, if we ask anything in His name and according to His will. We know that He hears us. And this is the confidence that we have if He knows, if we know that He hears us, then we have the petitions, the thing, the very prayer requests that we desire of Him. Have you got confidence tonight uh, that God is going to answer your prayer? That God is going to give you what you need? That God is going to respond to you in the midst of your problem? I'm here to tell you tonight, God is a prayer answering God. That's why Paul said, pray always with all prayer in the spirit let's pray tonight father thank you for the word of god thank you for the word of god lord show us your glory show us your glory in answer to prayer god i'm asking you show us your glory in answer to prayer god raise up a prayer army in this church lord prayers work it's not the most popular thing on God's plan or agenda. It's not the thing that a lot of people like to do because it's work. It's not easy. It takes time. It takes effort. It puts us in a place where we're second and God's always first. Lord, I ask you tonight to touch your people and let them see that the way First Assembly of God is going to attain to the purpose and the plan of our Heavenly Father in this community the way we're going to touch southeast Arkansas with the gospel. The way we're going to see the sick healed. <laughs> the way we're going to see people delivered from sin. The way we're going to see the mighty move of God is because the people of God just keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. Lord, a preacher can't bring revival. But a preacher that prays can tap into the supernatural power of God. And a church can be stirred to pray. And that praying, that prayer army, will bring the glory of God into the house. God, I can't, I can't find an evangelist that is able to produce revival of his own. The only way that happens, God, <laughs> is for people to pray. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. We have quoted it till our tongues are wore out from speaking its words. But it's true. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God, help us to become a praying church, a praying people. Oh, God, on our faces as we go through the day, God, while we're working, Lord, when we come home, Lord, in every activity of our life, may we have a praying always spirit. Jesus, make the difference. Touch us now.
with an anointing of God. Here's the altar call tonight. God's looking for people to pray. And I know some of you, maybe all of you, are people of prayer. But God wants us to pray like never before. We're living in a very troubled world. And hell is spewing up everything it possibly can. These are the last days. And the love of many has grown cold because iniquity abounds. Men's hearts are failing them for fear because of those things that are coming upon the earth. But in the midst of it all, the Bible says, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. And one of those graces is a praying church. One of those things that will hold back the flood tide of darkness, the flood tide of the enemy, is prayer and a praying church. I want to ask you tonight, would you leave that place where you are and come to the altar and let's find a place to talk to God. And, and when you come, I'm not interested in longevity here at the altar tonight. That's not, that's not what I'm interested in. If you want to stay, you, you want to stay till midnight, that's fine. We'll be here with you. But what I am interested in is you coming and making a solid, sold out commitment to Jesus Christ to become part of a prayer army here at First Assembly that's going to touch God in prayer. We're going to do the asking, the seeking, and the knocking. All three of those are integral to God doing something powerful. Next Sunday night, we're going to talk about the content of our praying. But how many of you tonight, either right there where you are, you make an altar before God and say, God, I'm committing myself to become a person of prayer. Every day, I'm going to pray and seek the face of God. How many of you will get up from where you're at tonight and find an altar here in the front somewhere and say to God, Lord, I'm signing up. I'm part of this prayer army. We're going to make a difference for you in our community. Southeast Arkansas is going to be prayed over. Southeast Arkansas is going to be touched by the power of prayer. This Monticello, Hamburg, and Dermot, and this whole area, God, Warren, is going to be touched by the power of God as we pray in Jesus' name.